So one of the things that I've um, always looked at is when I see people achieve greatness, when, when I see people achieve greatness, and, and sometimes we ponder, how did they do that? Uh, so you see, like even in sports, the same people winning and the same teams uh, being in the championship. And actually, um, that answer is usually, it's in the secret place. It, it is in the secret place. Steph Curry, who's probably one of the greatest shooters of all time in basketball in the offseason, he shoots about 500 shots a day. Kobe Bryant in the offseason worked out six days a week for six hours a day. Tiger Woods would hit between 500 and 1,000 golf balls a day, not counting his workout after that. Often we, we see people do these things, and we, how do they do it? It's in a secret place. They said that Albert Einstein would work 10 hours a day, six days a week, minimum. And he had this great ability to focus. Well... There's something similar that takes place in the kingdom. It, it, is, it is not um, us practicing the same thing over and over again, but it's spending time with a person. The amount of time you spend with a person matters. And depending on who that person is, um, we, it says a lot about who we become. Uh, you know the saying, show me your friends, I'll tell you who you are. When Joshua was preparing to go into the promised land, the, the text tells us, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but it shall, you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to those things that are written in it. For then you will be prosperous in your ways and have good success. The brother of, of Jesus, James, he, he was a man that believed prayer was powerful. And in and, and evidence of that, uh, because of his habits of praying on his knees, it is said that he developed callous for, and because he would intercede for the saints. They called him the man with camel knees. Uh, imagine having callous on your knees because that's the position that you would pray in and you did it so frequently. We read the text last week, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As 
the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. So as we consider what it is to uh, be in the kingdom, we will continue in our series called God's Way. And the title of this morning's sermon is In the Secret Place. Because again, it is about being in the presence of a person. We're going to find ourselves in 1 Kings again, chapter 17. We're going to continue on what we were reading last week. So uh, we'll be in the ESV. So would you please stand for the reading of God's word? Again, we're in 1 Kings chapter 17, and we're going to start reading at verse 17. And it reads this way. After this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill. And his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. And she said to Elijah, what have you against me, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. And he said to her, give me your son. And he took him from her arms and carried him up into the upper chamber where he lodged and laid him on his own bed. And he cried out to the Lord, oh Lord, my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourn by killing her son? Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, O oh Lord, my God, let this child's life come into him again. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah, and the life of the child came into him again, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, see, your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord is in your mouth is truth. Lord, you are the author of life. You breathe life into man that you form from the dust and gave him animation. The days we spend on this earth are numbered by you. Death is our enemy, the consequence of sin. But you have conquered death, sin, and the grave. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You keep us and provide for us daily, Lord. Would you do that as we sit under your word? Your word is a delight. It revives us. And I pray, Lord, that you would give me clarity and power as your servant this day as I deliver your message. 
In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So as we read last week, after the brook dried up, Elijah, whose name means God is Lord, is sent to a widow. Not a widow in Israel, but in Zarephath, in the Phoenician Sidon, which is where Jezebel was from. The, the place where Baal worship was imported to Israel. This widow and her son had the honor of hosting the prophet of God during the time of drought and famine in the land. And they were able to have the benefits of the supernatural provision from the Lord. Not only did they have supernatural provision from the Lord, they had this man of God in their home that they got to know, which in turn would mean that they got to know the words of the Lord. It says that the widow's flour and oil did not run out. It says, for thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did as Elijah said, and she and he and her household ate for many days. What a blessing. All around her household were the effects of this famine and drought. But her daily needs were met. And they were in the company of God's servant. The, the actual servant of God that God used his mouth to shut up the heavens and would use his mouth to open and loose the heavens. What a privilege. But then tragedy strikes. The son of the widow dies. It says, after this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill, and his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. Wow. So she right away says to herself, what have you done to me? What, what do you have against me? Has my past caught up to me? First thing we need to notice here is the prophet did not address her statements. This woman was distraught. We don't always have to defend ourselves. Sometimes when accusations are hurled at us, the best thing for us to do is take it to the Lord. We, we often feel the need when someone comes against us to set the record straight and, and to retaliate, even if it's just with words. 
And you know how we do it as Christians. We have Christian language that we do. Sometimes I'd rather people just like give it to me straight. When, when they come with the Christian language and you know, hmm, I, I think that's worse in many ways. In, in, in any event, he didn't defend himself. But there is a great discipline that's learned through trial. Trials in our life is not proof of God being angry with us or displeased. Sometimes you can be living a godly life and doing the right things. Trials are still going to come your way. Affliction is, is not proof of God's wrath. If a farmer is, is plowing his field, he's putting in this hard work because he sees in the future uh, the harvest that is going to bring. It is needful preparation for the soil when he's plowing the ground. We must keep our eyes on God's eternal glory. He, he, he puts us through things because he's doing something in us and for us and through us. That's God's way. He is so powerful that he will take sinful, hurtful, bad situations and use it for our good and for his glory. I read a, a quote, and it said, God's blow may be very heavy. Her son, her only son, is taken. God's plow sinks deep that the work may be rightly done. The very greatest of our anguish is the measure by which we may gauge the greatness of the Lord's purpose and of the love which will not suffer us to miss the blessing. In, in, in other words, oftentimes, the deeper the pain, the greater the work. The deeper the pain, the greater the work. God is a good teacher. God will finish what he starts. We are far from looking like Jesus, and that's the end game. So we have to be submitted to the process that whatever it takes. There is nothing that the believer goes through that is just happenstance. That's not the way it works. Affliction has fruit attached to it, always. Here, first of all, it reveals our need. It reveals our need. She had a conscious, daily representation of God's goodness by his provision. She, she didn't have a 50-gallon jug of oil and, and, and a basket full of flour. 
No. She, she had whatever she kept her oil in, and every time she poured it, daily provision was there. You know, we could get used to that and don't even view it as a blessing anymore. Everybody around her was suffering from the drought. Everyone uh, around her was famine right there knocking at the door. We eat well. I'm looking at y'all. Sorry, that slipped. <laughs> because we eat well, because we have variety, because we have multiple vehicles many times, we don't even view it as a blessing anymore. It just becomes, this is what's due to me. This is what I deserve. This is what I worked for. A deeper work needed to be done. So when her child died, that was a whole nother story. Now God was awaking something in her, and he was going to show her like he shows us often, I'm God. And, and I am involved in every part of every situation. Another thing that happened here was her sense of unworthiness. What have I to do with you? Why, why has this come upon me? And then she remembered her transgression. Could it be that my past has finally caught up with me? Could it be that now that this man of God is in my home, it's time for me to pay for my past sins? That's why these things came up in her mind and came out of her mouth. But another benefit of this fruit of affliction was prayer. So, so immediately, Elijah went to pray. The fruit of this affliction led to a vision of God's glory. It is often when we are in these situations that we recognize there is nothing I can do to get out of this. Matter of fact, death has come into this situation. It is then when God turns that around that we see a vision of God's glory. And, and, and what is the fruit of that? It deepens our trust. Because it won't be the last time when you think, ah, it's over. No, no, no. Maybe next time this comes up, You'll stand on the history that you have with God, on what he says in his word, and what you see him doing around in the life of the other people that are around you. He brought this boy back from the dead. 
after that event, how were they going to live their lives? His mother came alive just like that boy came alive. She was from the same land as Jezebel. So she was exposed to Baal worship. She, she probably did not know the one true God. But this, this speaks of a couple of things. One, that God is not a respecter of persons. Even Jesus said when they, well, the reason they were going to throw him off the cliff was Jesus said, yeah, you know when Elijah um, went to that Gentile widow, there were plenty widows in Israel, but a prophet is not respected in his hometown. <laughs> he went and sent the prophet to the same place that Jezebel was from, who was the one who contaminated Israel and pushed Baal by her husband. Look how God's work. It's God's way. It's not the way we think things should go. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. He raised this boy and that woman from the dead. What were their life going to look like after that occasion? What, what was their day-to-day -day going to be? What kind of conversations would they have once Elijah left and that godly person intersecting their life changed everything for them? Well, let me ask you something. You were raised from the dead. You were dead in your trespasses and sin. I pray that your life reflects that you were raised from the dead. Because if they, that woman, that widow, and that boy went back to Baal worship after I, uh, Elijah left, that would be a shame. If you're living like you used to live or keeping like parts of it, The text tells us that she said, that he said to her, this woman was destroyed. Why has this happened to my child? And he said to her, give me your son. He took him from her arms and carried him up into the upper chamber where he lodged and laid him on his own bed. Why didn't... Elijah pray right there in her presence. Because some things need to happen in the secret place. Your intimacy with God is that secret place. It's not what you do when you're here in the public eye. 
What people see is the product that is produced from your time alone. It shows. Your time with the Lord is evident. Much time with the Lord is visible. No time in his word, no time with the Lord, whether you think it or not, is visible. And if you're real good at playing it off, he knows. Time in his word, time in prayer, time in Meditation, praising and worshiping God through song. It's known by him and it's seen by others. The text said, and he cried, Elijah, to the Lord, O Lord, my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourned by killing her son? It's real important for us to remember, like Elijah was a person who had an encounter with the Lord, just like us. So sometimes we think, Something like that, oh, he knows what's going to happen. You don't know what's going to happen when you pray. You don't know if God's going to say no, wait, yes, we pray, and we wait, and, and, and we pray, and, and, and our confidence and our trust in the faith that God gives us comes from the Holy Spirit in us, his word and history that he's come through time and time and time again. But one of the things that we're well acquainted with is the way we pray and our desires and the way we want it to happen usually is not the way it goes. But we've also learned that it's better. But some kind of way when we still pray, we're like kind of anxious and how is God going to respond in this situation? Elijah didn't feel any different than that. Listen to the way he frames what he says. Oh, Lord, my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow? Like what? This is all she has is this boy, and I'm living with her. You sent me here, and now he's dead? Now what? That kind of cry to the Lord was not supposed to be taking place in her presence. It's in the secret place. It says, then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, Oh, Lord, my God, let this child life come into him again. Do you persevere? And prayer. The Bible tells us, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. In other words, keep praying and keep thanking God for what you're praying about. 
The Lord is near to all who call on him and to all who call on him in truth. Like sometimes we pray in something crazy. We got to still call on him in truth. Our prayers are not so much to, to force or bend God's will. It's that we would be in line with his will. So when we come to him, we are petitioning him, God, if it be your will, these are my petitions. These are my thoughts, which I know are lower than your thoughts. They're earthly thoughts. Your thoughts are higher. Your ways are higher. But let me lay what I think before you, Lord, and then say, have your way. And if I'm wrong, change me, God. That's the way we should pray. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. The text says, the, the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah. And we've read in James before that he's no different than us. He's a man, and the Lord listens. He hears his children. And the life of the child came into him again, and he was revived. And he takes this child and brings him back to his mother, says, see, your child lives. This boy, being resurrected from the dead, that's the first time that happened in Scripture. Like, Elijah didn't have, like, a reference point. Like, yeah, this has been done before. God was doing something in Elijah. Even that, even him praying boldly like that had to be a divine impulse. Like, God had to lay that on his heart to even pray that way. It's unprecedented. What comes alive that was dead? The woman says to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God, and that the word of the Lord is in your mouth is truth. When we read last week, 1 Kings 17, starting at chapter 1, and Elijah goes to Ahab and says, this is what's going to happen. That's the first time that Elijah is presented in the Bible. There was nothing about him being raised, where he was from, who his family was. Nope. That's when he came on the scene. But as we read last week also, as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand. And then he gave the declaration. It lets us know that well before Elijah went to the king, God was doing a work in Elijah in the secret place. And in private, him and Elijah, 
And then he sent him and supplied his needs by the brook and fed him by ravens. What was he talking to the ravens? Is he talking to the brook? The Lord set him apart for a time by himself, just him and the Lord, the secret place, preparing him for what he called him to do. In isolation, he provided for his daily needs and then sends him to this Gentile woman. All of this time, he's preparing his servant for what? For the time that he's going to use him publicly. The, the time where he would stand before all of Israel and those that oppose the one true God. He was doing a work with him, so in him. So when he spoke, he could speak with boldness, knowing I've been in the secret place with the Lord. I think you're understanding the gist in this message is spend much time in the secret place. But, but before you can show any demonstration of God's power and how he's working in you, you can't fake it till you make it. No, 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 no. no. God has to do an inner work with you and it's not a one-time affair. It's an everyday event. It, it, it is you spending time with him as you walk, meditating on his word. As you go about your business, having these back and forth conversations. I've said to you guys before, I do not spend a lot of time speaking to myself. Because... When I start going back and forth in my own head, let's just say it's a problem. No, I've conditioned myself that I am in constant conversation with the Lord. We have to spend time in the secret place. That's what God was doing here in Elijah. He was building him up because he was going to use him as his instrument to bring revival to the people. There is a, a pattern that we see here, and maybe you see it in your own life. God is doing something in you. He's doing something for you, and he's doing something through you all at the same time. He, he's doing something in you, for you, and through you at the same time. Elijah was being built up, he was being provided for, and he was being used as an instrument of blessing all at the same time. God is working on you, he's working for you, and he's using you for his glory to bless others simultaneously. You've gone to job interviews, and they're like, you don't have enough experience. Call me in a year once you get some. Like, where? I can't get a job because every time I go to get a job, they tell me I need certain experience. Once you have the Spirit of God, God starts doing something in you, 
And while he's doing something in you, he's always doing something for you. And as he's doing something for you, he's always doing something through you. That's amazing. Do, do you see that in the life of Elijah? Do you see that as a pattern? Do you see that he's doing that in your life? And if he's not, then you got to consider, where am I with the Lord? You can come up, worship team. When we think about God doing something in us and doing something for us and doing something through us, a lot of it boils down to him changing who we are. The world celebrates talent when it should celebrate character. To be called a man or a woman of God is the grandest title. Somebody is called the king, someone's called the president, someone's called the billionaire. It does not compare to, to the person that is called a man or a woman of God. It is the grandest title you can have. We should think day after day about character and that God is building something in us for eternity. We should always, every man and woman, Ask ourselves, am I a man of God? Am I a woman of God? You could fail at everything else. Ultimately, that's what's going to matter. But this is the thing. Once you're that, you can't fail at everything else. You're still going to fail at some things. You are even going to fail in your thought of, I wasn't being godly at that moment. But we're being changed day by day. And much of that work is being done in the secret place. And in the quiet time. It's the inner work. It's the trials and tribulations you're going through. It's you spending time in your prayer closet. It's you being in your word. It's you becoming a lover of the word of God. That you loving being in the presence of God, you loving being with God's people. If, that, if love is not the motivation, all your efforts are going to fall flat. 
You cannot maintain anything from hard work, grinding it out, being better. Those are outward things. It's the work of God in that secret place. Second Corinthians 3.18 says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Would you stand, family? Galatians tells us that I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith. And the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That is our motivation. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you that you're doing a work in the secret place, Lord. Let us spend much time there, Lord. These outward things are only a reflection of what's happening on the inside, Lord. And you know it well. You know our thoughts before they enter our minds. You know every hair that is on our heads. You know every path we've walked down. You know every weakness we have. You know every struggle we go through, Lord. Oh, God, thank you for your grace and your mercy. Thank you, Lord that you are leading us by the hand. As we watch the trajectory of Elijah's life, you led him from one place to another on a journey to have him look more like you. And greatness was found because of what you did in him and for him and through him. The, the word says that John the Baptist had the spirit of Elijah. On the Mount of Transfiguration, Elijah and Moses met with the Lord. We thank you, Lord, that you are no respecter of persons. We thank you, Lord, that you went to that widow in a foreign land with foreign gods and sought her out and met her need. And we that know you can declare the same thing. Oh, you are good and you are merciful and you're leading us and you're guiding us and you're providing for us and you're changing us, God. Thank you, Lord. 
We pray for the one that has come this day that have had their intersection with Christ. And we pray, Lord, that you would do a work in the secret place. That the road has brought them to this point that you are telling them to repent and accept the free gift of salvation that you offer because of the finished work that you did on the cross. And that you would take their guilt and their shame and for it you would give them your righteousness. What a divine exchange. Thank you, God. You did it for us. Would you do it for them? And as our prayer focus for this month, would you do it for the lost and our families, Lord? The same way that Elijah went and interceded for another and pleaded with you. Give them life, Lord. Would you do that? We thank you, Lord, that you're doing a work in each and every one of us, Lord. And we're going to give you thanksgiving like the text that we read as we lay these petitions before you, and we're going to wait on you, O oh God. We thank you that we're walking in victory, and we have a confidence that the good work you've started in each and every one of us, that you're going to bring it to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. For we're going to live our lives giving you praise and the glory that is due your name because you are good. For that, Lord, we want to live for you. We want to walk this out where that inner work, that secret place is not being kept a secret. It's overflowing in every area of our lives. We thank you, Lord, that you're doing that and you're going to continue to do that. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you, saints.